I named those pillars in that order for a reason. So the only thing more powerful than the second pillar of Protestantism is the first pillar mm-hmm. of whiteness, which dominates the Catholic Church as much as any other institution here. So, I mean, the reason you didn't hear about it is because... Thank you, Nate. As the black clergy said in 1968, the Catholic Church in the United States is primarily a white racist institution that, and I'm stopping the quote there, but after that they said it, it, it directs itself towards that demographic. That's who it's really talking to when it speaks. And I'm not sure that so much has changed in the 52 years. I, I, I would have to agree with that. And from an objective Protestant evangelical mind you who was born and bred and raised in the ag church a lot of my experience with catholics was that of them being inherently racist not even towards blacks but towards other people too that's That's the impression i got from them and so i know you want to speak on that like like i think definitely to add to that i think a big part of the issue is definitely spotlight and and what what has been shown a spotlight and what hasn't because there's always been from tolton onward there's always been the existence of black catholic leaders mm-hmm. within the church speaking out you said, like, yeah yeah and so like you had people like uh i mean even more recent Within the past like 50, 60 years, you had like, like, like when we finally did get a, a like a collection of black Catholic bishops, they were producing documents. Like one of those is is called like uh, what what we what we what, what we have seen and heard. That was the name of one of the documents that was put out. Uh, like it's one another one like like either that was in the 1980s or 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 another one that's on my mind. I forget the name of it. It was also in the 1980s. But again, like you, there was stuff coming out, but of course, because like uh, it's three million black Catholics, mm. and because we're so much of a minority within the church, our voice and the voice of our issues and everything can get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a spotlight for that voice, then you don't hear that. And then, and then another thing is that as far as like. Why you don't hear like and then hear um, more like black like Catholics kind of um, decrying racism? Like why why haven't you heard that up until now? Like why why there's been so much silence and stuff like that? Like what one of those one of those factors is to get the low numbers of like for one thing like low numbers of black Catholics, but also the especially even less than that the low numbers of of um, Black clergy members and Black yeah. Catholic leaders within the church, and and what plays a role that is the systematic racism that was present way back then. I mean, like uh, in terms of nineteen, but again, but not, but not so way back then, really, because like just like you said, nineteen seventy nine. But um, what you have was again a systematic oppression within the church that kept Black men and women from becoming priests and becoming religious. And that, and so it, that goes all the way back to, to Tolton to like well into the well into the 20th century to where there's like, like black people were systematically kept 
away from leadership within the church. And because they didn't have this leadership within the church, the people who would have spoken out and, and also the people who maybe would have been influenced by those who spoken out were not given that spotlight, not given that voice for so long. And and if you, if you have that as a situation in which people are held down or just like, uh, or just kind of marginalized to the side and you don't hear certain voices speaking up and especially those certain voices that would make us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. we began to stink into comfortability and begin to like, uh, what, what I'm trying to say, uh, uh, like, like uh, uh, a sense of complacency. That's what mm-hmm. like a sense of complacency to where you don't get anything. You don't hear much until like uh, George Floyd in 2020. I mean, it's like you don't hear much until much later and then you're coming out and then, and, and then, and then you develop a sense of like a, a, a sense of like a cultural, a sense of awareness and consciousness to it. But, but again, a lot of that is a definitely historical component to it, but also the, the, uh, the, 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 the after effects of that historical component. And then, and then another thing was that, um, as far as like America in general, like I, I have a, I have an intuition that like again you mentioned 1979 mm-hmm. was when like you lost, like you was a kid then when 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 your your local area area was um, desegregated finally desegregated yeah I think people the impression that you might the, the impression that I think people can can get was that racism and 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 um, deseg and, and segregation ended like. In 1965, and then that's it. It was just a, a stop, <laughs> right. and there was nothing else after. And then, every, and then everything else was fine after right. that point on. Yeah, and, and then like after, but of course, like everything was still not fine, and there was still a, a development that needed to happen after that. But, but yeah, that mm-hmm. those are the, what's on my mind. Like as I, as I spin it, I, just I, a short addendum to that is that that same effect of there needing to be continued growth and action that really didn't necessarily occur after desegregation, the same thing needed to occur at the church after they finally let black people start becoming priests and religious sisters in an unrestricted way. And that development didn't necessarily happen either, which is why there are still almost very few black priests, and few black nuns. Mm-hmm. The problem is ongoing, just like public schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is why... Cardinal, which is why, like the the black cardinal, the first American cardinal being named, and why that's so visible, is so important. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Like, it's crucially important. Yeah. Like, because, like, just think about it. A black, a, a, a black man in America can become pope. Yes. Yeah. Theoretically yeah. possible. Yes. It's right. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. The, like that's so, and it's and it's visible. And, and yeah. I saw like in. And when that and when it was made cardinal, that was not only in Catholic news, but that was in secular news as well. That's why I read it. It blew up. That's why I read it. Yeah. And so yeah. yeah. And so like it's so important to get that visual aspect of a black cardinal. Because then yeah. it it says to young black men, maybe I can't maybe oh, just black people in general, okay, maybe I maybe I can become Catholic. 
Yeah. Maybe there are some black Catholics that exist. Yes. And then it says to young black men, maybe I can become a priest. And, and like, and, and young black men and women, and like, maybe I can become a religious sister. Absolutely. All because there was a visible presence of somebody in the news. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I know he catches a lot of flack, and, and I'm not going to ask for your opinions. Um, I know he catches a lot of flack. He knows where I'm going with this. I'm a huge supporter of Pope Francis. I love Pope Francis. <laughs> it's a, My man. <laughs> I love Pope Francis. And I, and I know people who don't like him, but I love Pope Francis. My, he has weeded out more of the old um, insecurities, more of the filth out of the church than any other pope in 200 years. I mean, it, he has removed more leadership that was not doing their job than any other pope before him. So it, on top of that, he's progressive in his thinking. He brings about the first African-American uh, cardinal. You know, it's um, And then... In his, I'm sure you heard in his speech when he brought up the first, uh, I think it was last over this last month, yeah, over this last month, he did, uh, he he raised up the new cardinals, and the first thing he said was, "Make sure you do your job." <laughs> it's like yes, that's it, because it, this is a man who's looking out for the little man. He does not want the aristocracy, you know what? He wants you to step up and protect the poor. Take care of people who are in need. I mean, so again, I don't know where anybody stands. I'm not going to ask anybody, but I love Pope Francis. Juice, can I can I take a moment to synthesize Pope Francis converted challenges faced by people converting to Catholicism and the lack of progress on on racial equality in the church. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Good. I just finished this book a, a while back that I think relates to a lot of it kind of connects the dots on a lot of the mechanisms that I keep think keep reinforcing, you know, the the idea of the Catholic Church being just for white people um, and, and the broader issues, you know, with whiteness and Protestantism and how that bleeds into Catholicism. This book called um, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation by Kristen Cobus Dumez. Mm. And uh, it connects these dots on how, uh, you know, with the rise of like mass media and and with, you know, preachers like Billy Graham and such, and, and how suddenly our primary faith teachers became these very politically connected, uh, you know, especially with early on segregationists and later on. Uh, Republican, um, you know, like hard right type stuff. Uh, so, so our primary teachers became these preachers on the radio. It was no longer our pastors. And and you know, kind of as I was joking before, talking about how hey, Catholics often pick up on trends. You know, ten or twenty years after Protestants, we've done the same thing now. Where, uh, you know, it's oftentimes we're getting our primary faith information from. You know, you know, Catholic answers or this particular, um, you know, Catholic uh, apologist or whatever. And maybe, you know, only later when we're already Catholic uh, after conversion or reversion, then maybe we're talking to an actual priest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it had me thinking about just like this was a big blind spot 
when I was reverting uh, was that I was getting most of my information there. I was getting really just enveloped in, and there, there was, it was basically all truth from something like Catholic Answers, but it was only certain pieces of truth. It was a lot about canon law and very moral particulars. And it was absolutely just, I gobbled it up because, you know, a big challenge in not being Catholic was a lack of moral certitude. Like, you know, Googling, is this thing a sin? <laughs> and not really getting a clear answer because people are trying to derive it from the Bible as opposed to catechism, which is like, this thing's a sin. This thing's not a sin. Um, so I just totally ate this stuff up. And so then I am going out and I am leading with like, you know, I'm, I'm on fire with all this information and I want to tell people, hey, this is clarity. Read this catechism. And, and these things are true. These things are false. If you don't believe this right now, you're a heretic. And um, I was leading with this total hard edge of, of Catholicism, which I think is often embraced by a lot of, of you know, apostles that are, are really kind of got their tactics from the white evangelical radio and now Internet preacher. Uh, and I just keep thinking back, if I could tell my past Catholic self one thing to actually be way more ecumenical uh, from the beginning and not alienate people and to also be more aware of, you know, actual issues that really cut to the heart of our faith, which is like, how do we treat people? It's not how moral we are, which is important, but it's also, you know, how do we care for our neighbor? And I would tell my, my past self, so make sure you're not just reading Catholic answers or this particular apologist, but make sure you're reading it, like at least the writings of one Pope. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like if I was reading, if I was, as my past, you know, in the process of reversion self, reading, um, you know, Fratelli Tutti, you know, if that had been zapped in the past, that would just made such a difference in how I interacted with people and and mm. approached sharing my faith. Yes. Good point. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and a word from our sponsors. All right, good. <laughs> All right, let's break out the last brew. You had the record Ridge, right? Are we the only ones having beer, man? <laughs> well, and Keith. <laughs> That's why we do this short glasses. So That's why we do short know. glasses. In terms of the seminarians and stuff, I mean, like, like this, you saying you'll get turned? You saying you'll get turned? I mean, like. <laughs> Oh, priests! The seminaries begin turned. Oh like, my God. like I mean, I wouldn't use the word turned because that has a lot of like, uh, like implications and stuff to that. But, but is it like, true? But 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 in terms of like, yeah, I mean, we get together, we like, and have beers and stuff. And when, at the seminary, when we get when we have like our get-togethers and like the like the whole seminary gets together. I mean, there's sodas and there's beers. There's there as well. I mean, yeah. like the. Like the uh, the monks and stuff that teach us and because uh, like the, my seminary Saint Monred is a is a bit is ran by Benedictine monks because also at is also like a uh, abbey attached to the seminary and stuff as well. But again, I mean, you know, drink like drinking and stuff like that. But of course, as far as like getting drunk, I mean, of course, course it's a no no mm -hmm. and everything. Oh, yeah. But yeah. No, just the way you say it, I know people getting drunk. Just the way you <laughs> work. <with that. laughs> well. No, we, um, whoa, holy cow. Oh, no. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that we do short glasses. So that way it's, <laughs> you get a good taste 
without getting you know too far gone. <laughs> I was telling another uh, podcast participant one time that we, we we could expand the definition of brew to include things that aren't necessarily alcoholic, like uh, that's heresy, I've brother. Brewing my own. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I was thinking about bringing that one time. Holy cow, <laughs> This thing was. We actually, we want men to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. We um, we in, we definitely enjoy our brews and stuff, but we do not want to get. We don't get the wrong impression either. So. <laughs> no, but but we have not done wine yet. But we will be doing wine. But we have done spirits. We have done different um different bourbons. So. I drink more in the politics shows. But we do have um <laughs> <laughs> as we all should. <laughs> but we do have uh we we do have a uh, a wine one coming up though. Um mm. one of my students actually works at a winery. So oh. Yeah, so we will be doing wine as well. <laughs> I have no room to talk cuz I actually don't drink much at all. So <laughs> that's why I'm not drinking a beer. Yeah. That's well, what, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm I'm the same thing. It's like I don't really drink all that much. I like uh, like I don't know. I mean, like I, I like I do have the occasional beer. Like like when it's when I'm with like people to get it's uh, my, like my buddies at the seminary and it's like, hey man, you want a beer? Come to have a beer. It's all right, cool man. Let's, let's <laughs> have a beer. That's all right. But 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 like as far as like what I would choose to drink and like. Like beer and everything, not the first thing. Well, again, I mean, I actually waited until I was twenty-one to drink, and again, it's just—I mean, I never, I never, like, never got into it as much. Wow. But, but of course, like, but there's some, there's some alcohol like that, I, that I think as I'm gra- I think it's a gradual thing. Like as I try more, I begin to realize kind of what I do like. I, I remember. Have like margaritas and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, margaritas good. Oh, I <laughs> like, love uh, a good margarita. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried that for the first time earlier this year. I mean, and it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, and if it's something like that, and, and and people are having it, and it's like, yeah, I've never tried it before. Let's let's try. So, like, even though I don't drink too much myself, like, I'm 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 open to like alcoholic drinks and stuff like that in the proper concept. Yeah. yeah man. One of our podcasts we did we touched on the that. Ethiopian Orthodox and their uh their brewers. Remember that? Yeah. And that was really interesting. They actually have a whole thing. <laughs> it's yeah, as a part of their in uh, Ethiopia or there. Yeah. What's that? In Ethiopia or there in Ohio? No, 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 no Ethiopia. In, in Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah, they have a whole thing when it comes to it. As part of their uh Part of their culture with their religion. Interesting, like the Lutherans, <laughs> right? <laughs> and okay, I have the info. I'm ready when you are. I cheated. <laughs> it's okay. We're ready. We're ready. Ready? Yeah. All right. And we're back. All right. Introducing our last brew of the night. We've got the multi full bodied winter warmer. It is Breckenridge Christmas Ale. The chill of winter calls for a beer with extra flavor and strength, and this take on a classic strong ale does just that. It soothes the soul and warms the spirit. Flavors of caramel and chocolate are derived from an abundance of carefully roasted malts. Chinook and and Mount Hood hops contribute a spiciness, lending balance and a clean finish. Christmas ale is a cozy holiday companion worthy of sharing. 
an IBV of 7.1, an IBU of 22. All right. Aaron, I love when you read that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I love when you read it. always makes me feel like a bit more like a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Uh, right off the get-go, this one is very heady. This thing, like... Darker. Oh, man, it, it popped up. There was so much foam on the top, I had to let it go to fill up a little more. That's um, probably a lot to do with how it's uh, packaged. This is true. Gumby was kind enough to bring an entire mini keg. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's the holidays. It's 2020. And it is darker. I mean, if I look through this, it's got a very deep yeah. walnut to it. it I mean, if, if you look, if you're on camera right now, that is a very deep walnut. It's beyond amber. Is that a very skypeable beer as well, Keith? <laughs> you know, the foam really stuck out. Like it shined. Like it it yeah. almost blinded you. I thought I was entering heaven for a moment. <laughs> it has a very, uh, the aroma is very subtle, is I think, subtle. on the top. I think it it's very subtle. subtle. It's a warm aroma. I, I would say it's it's almost, almost uh, you know, aromatic. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is really smooth. I mean, with this being the, the deep walnut that it is, I fully expected this to be a little more bitter, but no, it's not. This is... That is... Really good. So smooth. Um, it's unique. Yeah. Like, 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 everything's subtle and blends so well. Like, like, I catch little bits of, like, say, nutmeg, little bits of... You know, maybe a cinnamon in there, mm. you know, maybe, but it's so subtle. It all kind of blends together nicely. Mm. Mm. In the right way, almost wow. like a woody taste to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the right way. Exactly that. Yeah. Like um, if you were to roast something on the grill and you only used a good wood, this is kind of that flavor you would get out of it. This is, yeah, I, yeah. Really happy about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm crying. Mm. <laughs> Breckenridge, wow, man, I don't know. Twelve gut dogs might have some competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all good. That's all really, good. that's really good. <laughs> Keith, there's a whole lot of that one. If you need me to bring it to you, man. <laughs> oh, I would absolutely not turn that down. No, <laughs> you could leave it on my doorstep. Pretty special. All right, you're gonna have a little bit of this uh, nice walnut coming to you. <laughs> oh. You know, it just occurred to me with that that mouthwatering description is how fun would it be if we wrote a description just like that for like Budweiser? <laughs> like, how, how long can we draw it out? But the trouble with that is, I would have to do confession afterwards because I'd be lying. Light <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hints of urine. Lightning would strike, Aaron. (laughs) Although I will say that Budweiser has been buying some good brands lately. So Budweiser proper, Budweiser proper, not being one of those. (laughs) Yeah, watch out for that, man. (laughs) So you touched on something that I found interesting uh, going into the. I wouldn't say overtly. I would say actually the undertones of uh, not even racism. I think it's cultural. And that's where I think from knowing my friends, I think there's a cultural context to the things that you're saying. For example, um, I can't, I, I'm Czech. Okay. So uh, Viverka, right? So I'm, I'm Czech. Um, and I'm only third generation in this country. 
So we, my family's not been here that long. Um, and we, we don't have that background. The Czech Republic was actually never part of the African slave trade. We never had slaves. So, um, so coming here, um, like my brother dates a black girl, right? Uh, one of my, I hate to say it's one of my exes <laughs> was half, was half Puerto Rican. My daughter dates somebody who's half black. Um, that it's on our side. There's not really that, um, there's not really that racist overtone or undertone or culturally, I think it's a little bit different. Um, however, that being said, some of my, some of my other friends assume that because I'm a white headed bald guy, <laughs> I didn't even notice <laughs> they immediately assume that I'm one of them, right? So, like, I can't tell you how many times working, <laughs> right? And and really, I think I think that's like a reverse racism because I've had friends walk over me and just give me a racist joke and then smile like I'm supposed to laugh. And I have it's like one of those things where it's like, dude, I'm not right, exactly, right? I was like, dude. I think wow. you're. I think you're telling that joke to the wrong person. I I might be white and bald, but I don't think you understand. <laughs> so, so I wonder if some of those are, are are cultural context. Like if you look into like the deep Spanish or French or even British, they have backgrounds of slavery. So I I almost wonder if if there's still undertones in certain cultures that carry forward to today. I mean, what do you think on that? I don't think it's undertones. <laughs> once you got once once America decided to run with whiteness, because they didn't always. They used to be like you needed to be a certain national background to be a part of their little club. Once they decided to do away with that and let all the Italians in and all the Irish people in, like it became less about you know national culture and more about a power structure that people could benefit from here in America, here in the United States. So, I mean, even your example of a near near immigrant ancestry that has no connection to the African slave trade, like how quickly can that become just another white racist person in America? Yeah. Like, it's it's the Lord's grace that it didn't happen in your family, but Dang. like so many other families that are recent immigrants, like as soon as they could benefit from anti-blackness they hopped onto it and you know at the end of the day who wouldn't if you, if you feel like this is going to get me the better job this is going to give me more money this is going to help me protect what i think is most important about you know my existence in america like it doesn't take a whole lot for people to to flip that switch and say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be racist now yeah it was actually That's... a gateway to a lot of groups a lot of immigrant um you know white immigrant groups getting legitimacy with with you know, basically you can sum up all of you know most of a white american history of immigrant white groups trying to see how they can become white like the um you know the ku klux klan in the 30s like a lot of groups you know that was kind of like a way in it's like hey if i become a clan member um now i'm in with everybody else and then from there i mean it kind of you know you're, you're passing that social dna through the rest of your family and and that just can infect generations. Yeah. Yeah. And to add to that, like, I think, yeah, I think that's why it's important not to see, um, 
I guess, America come. I mean, like, like the the past history of America, like, like the right, like the, the racism that's within it, as purely from like a legal point of view, in terms of the how we came out of it. What I mean by that is that even when, even when, even if you get the right laws passed, just because something is legally supposed to be the case doesn't mean that it's going to be the a- actually the case. And so, like, that goes into the cultural aspect, is when laws change and you still have people thinking the way that they do, that's the cultural aspect of it. That's the And, and that culture has been tainted with, again, like the, the sin of racism, the sin of unjust discrimination. And like again, and 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 just and it is and it's part of, like, broadly speaking, the fall, the fallen nature of man, the fallen creation that still needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so, like, definitely, when you get into like the cultural factor and and the advantages that saying this kind of racist thing or saying this this whatever about whatever is going to get me places that say the right things is going to give me is going to give me the right things then that definitely comes down to the cultural aspect that still that that doesn't answer why people don't change even when we get the right laws passed and stuff so yeah yeah, yeah and that's part of why those guys came up to you Aaron and were like are you one of us like it was a social it was a social play a power play that, you know, most people, they, they try it with, it probably works. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. He can do these things with us. He'll receive these social benefits. But, I mean, it's, it, it's wild how we do these things kind of under the radar. And we, we can talk about it as racism, as this just behavior that we engage, that certain people engage with. But it's really about, about power and, and how we're going to organize our, our social lives. And, yeah. And yeah, no, no. also I want to say that one of the main criticisms of America is about giving up your ethnic and national background. Yeah. And that's part of how we're in the mess in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You say? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And to that end, um, you know, when I was I was doing some work with some union guys doing some concrete stuff. And I thought the guy was joking who I was working with. He was telling me that even the unions today they are still segregated, even amongst each other, the Irish versus the Italians versus whatever, and who controls the markets of how much work is being flowed through and where you could find that work. And if your pension will be, you know, if you'll be able to get your pension. Yeah. You know, because I know, I know a guy who uh, he decided to, to do some politics. He was in the union. He ran on the wrong side. And because of that, to this day, he can't get his pension. Oh, wow. And they they won't say that what, that's what it wow. is. But he knows exactly that's why it is. And so I still see that today. Uh, it, it, it's very alive and very real. My question is, because we are a nation of so many different ethnicities, so many different backgrounds, do you really think that it's ever going to go away? Mm. No. 
almost kind of, I almost kind of want to ask, what do you mean by go away? Like it, it vanishes completely, one hundred percent, or go away in the sense that maybe like ninety eight percent of the people are not racist or not like prejudiced in any way, and it's like yeah. still yeah. just like two percent that's still crazy. So like, yeah. So I, I guess I pose that that question back to you. What do you mean by? Well, that? when I think of Christ's message in the New Testament. You know, uh, I mean, he, obviously the political climate there was very crazy, just as it is today. Yeah. Um, but if, if he was preaching today that same message to all of us, which he, in a way he still is, and I acknowledge that, but there's so many more ethnicities now here that it would it, it's it's harder. That same message that he preaches is, is so much more harder, I think here. To even come, you know, when he was just having to deal with the Samaria, the Samarian woman at the well, and how that was perceived, you know, yeah. it's times a thousand here now, right? So, I mean, what, what, what is it? When do we arrive? Like, when does that go away? Probably when Jesus comes back. Really, I mean. Because we, I think, I mean, I agree with Nate in the sense that there's always going to be that type of prejudice. There's always going to be a type of racism there because, like, like these, I mean, because the, our daily interaction with people and like, like, all, like, like this person of this race did something bad to me. Therefore, all of them are like this, right, right, or right. like, or like this certain group of people grow like have this part of the neighborhood and that neighborhood is always junky and messed up and ghetto and stuff like that. And so if, if that, if that community is predominantly one color or another or whatever, Mm -hmm. like that stigma of how like ghetto or whatever that community is, it's going like, like the conditions of the social condition of of that community is going to be attached to the people of that. Mm-hmm. And so there's, and, and th- I mean, those are just two different ways. There's a myriad of different ways in which this type, like these types of things, can like pop up and always be present w- with us amongst people. And I think it's ultimately, and I, when we as Christians, when we talk about like this issue, like the, the racism and, and 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 discrimination, we can't forget the theological element of it as Christians. Mm-hmm. And, and and even like the eschatological part of it in terms of you're always going to have this around because our status, the universal status is us as sinners. And we as people will never be able to get rid of that mm-hmm. because we are sinners. Yes. We'll never be able to get rid of that because sin is always going to exist. We're never going to get rid of that just as we can never get away. We can never get rid of sin in general. That's God's job. That's Jesus's job. And so we'll all, and so until Jesus comes back and ushers in the new creation, ushers in the new heaven and a new earth and get and, and gives us our redeemed bodies, which includes a redeemed mind. Yeah. Like until he, we become new creations in Christ, not just in soul, but when he, but when he gives us our redeemed bodies at the sec, at the at the resurrection, 
and then we receive glorified bodies and also glorified minds. That's when that's type the, like what we're talking about racism and everything is going to end, and 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 we can only hope now to change hearts and minds to the extent that we can. Mm. Yeah. Like now, but of course, like not to not, not there's a temptation there. When I say that that's not this is not going to end until we until Jesus comes back. There's a temptation to fatalism that could be there. Oh, we just we can't control it. But no, it's like hmm. just because we're not going to be able to realize this this um the, like this desired reality until God Himself brings it. That's why like we still exist in this in this situation that we do so that we can rely on God and so God can change us in this life yeah, to yeah. prepare us for the life to come. And so and by changing our hearts and minds away from racism, away from uh, various forms of discrimination, we choose love now so that we can choose love for all eternity. Yeah. And and the less that we choose love now, the harder it will be to choose the, like the less we choose in eternity. And God is love. Mm. And so choosing love means choosing God. Yeah. And if you don't want to love now, you're not going to want to love into eternity. When we when that's all you got in eternity is is God is love because God is love and we have and for all eternity. And everything. So yeah, that's good. That's a real yeah, good oh yeah. good response. That's beautiful. You sucker punched me though. You sucker punched <laughs> me with the eschat uh, the the theology <laughs> side of the Catholic Church. So now I'm curious because I'm not a Catholic. Uh, do Catholics believe in the Rapture? <laughs> I didn't. No, no, no. That's no. that's that's the heresy of Kiliasm. Okay, so when <laughs> when you say like clarify or, or unpack a little more for me, so I can understand the Catholic perspective. Uh, Jesus coming back. What does that mean? When he comes back, that's it. That's it. When he comes back. No, I need more than that. Come on. Yeah, come on. I got one, two, three, four astute Catholics. You can give me a little more than that. Yeah. I guess because I know what it means from that, the like, Protestant side. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Go ahead. Like, no, you get, uh, I think. What, as far as what the Catholic Church requires us to believe, definitely is is Jesus will come back. And then as the and then the, 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 it bounces to the question of like, okay, what what I said before? What is the Catholic Church requires us to believe, and then what is in the realm of theological opinion because of like mm. that gap that's between what like uh, what we know from Revelation and what and and. And what we may and, and the things that we don't quite know as clear that may be that may be further de- defined and extrapolated by the church uh, throughout time. But as far as and so I say that to say this, I don't think there's one. There may not be, and someone can correct me on this. And again, I'm only in first theology, so I don't. <laughs> I'll so, like, I don't think from my like from my view that there's any one Catholic viewpoint in regards to how exactly mm-hmm. the last things are going to occur. So I think there may be room for theological speculation as yeah. to how exactly the thing how exactly it was going to come about. But there's certain there's certain things that are ruled out. Like 
in terms of like certain theological propositions are ruled out, and I think the rapture is one of those things that's ruled out, um, but at least generally ruled out as not going to occur. But as as far as like when when the the tribulation is going to occur and like okay and, and what we talk about when we say like the reign of Christ for a thousand years, what what does that mean? I think like it's a question even kind of coming up as a Catholic perspective on that is a, definitely a question for for your own personal research in, mm-hmm. in regards to seeing the different Catholic perspectives that, that are probably there uh, throughout the course of like trying to describe okay what how exactly are the last things going to occur but yeah. that's all within the framework of certain things that we have to believe and that comes directly out of revelation comes directly out of the deposit of faith as in yeah. Jesus Christ, he's going to come back, and he, and when he comes back, it will be visible, and he will do what we say in the creed he's going to do. He will come back to judge the living and the dead, mm-hmm. yep. and his kingdom will be no end. Yes. Amen. Like, that's, yes. like, that's bottom line, it, what we have to believe. I, I now, think... Oh, go ahead. How is, that going, how is that going to occur leading into... Like his second coming, as far as whatever that we is up for the we don't know, and yeah. so we so we probably have different perspectives on that. And that's where I think there's a a bit of a because I was deep into that Protestant theology side where it's like, well, he's gonna come yes. again, and then there's a thousand years, and there's yes. but um, Justin Martyr was that was one of the things that he believed that the church actually kicked out was he believed in chiliasm, which is Christ comes again. Then it leaves for a thousand years and it comes back, and which theologically doesn't actually make sense because if he has to do that, then why did he die the first time? <laughs> it's like so that is one of those things that the I, I think was great that the church established was like, no, when Christ comes again, he comes again and he's here to stay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, he's here. And what the thousand years is, we can debate that all day long. I don't think anybody has an established timeline of what that is. Maybe it started, you know, when Christ left. You know, maybe because a thousand in the Bible it just means a long time, right? Because I literally went through the Bible and researched every time a thousand comes up, and every time it's an arbitrary number that means a long time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, as yeah. a Protestant, one of the things. Oh, go ahead, Keith. Go, you got it. I was, yeah, I was going to say that point. So a fun thing uh, about Catholicism is is we get to play a little bit fast and loose sometimes with certain <laughs> things that seem very literal in the Bible. Like this was a great benefit when I was debating atheists on the Internet was when I could be like, well, wait, we're just not supposed to take that part that super literally. And all these other people from thousands of years ago didn't think that, that literally meant a thousand years or that meant a hundred bushels or whatever particular number you're talking about. So, um, <laughs> it's yeah, convenient. That's, <laughs> that's a great point to bring up as far as the connection with, with the way certain, certain atheists interpret the Bible. Like what I've noticed, I mean, I've noticed for years is that some atheists, again, not all, but some atheists will interpret the Bible as literally as, fundamentalists do in terms of like you the bible like the bible means one thing and you can you can only get this certain view out of scripture otherwise you're just cherry picking or something 
you're just you're just like trying to get it to say what you what you what you want it to say because you're uncomfortable with something. There's a tension that you're trying to resolve there. Uh, but of course, that's not the case. There's like there's always nuance when look when interpreting the Bible and there's the different senses by which we can look at scripture. It's like the like uh, like uh, of course, I mean Bishop Barron. I mean, in one of his videos, like like yeah, like early videos, he talked about how yes, we we t we take the Bible literally, but not literalistic. We take the Bible literally in the sense that we look at the text that's present before us, and whatever type of text that it is, that's our interpretive lens into what that text might mean. And so, if a text is poetry, then we interpret it through a poetic lens. If the, if the text is more historical, then we interpret it through a historical lens. And then from whatever type of text that is, we look at it that way, and then bouncing off of that, then we get the, the historical context and stuff like that, the cultural the cultural context, the, the, the linguistic context. And then we also bring in the different senses of Scripture that the Catechism talks about, like the like the spirit like this goes back to even the earliest like like church fathers talking about this under different names so like the spiritual sense the uh, 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 the analogical sense like in um, uh, Christological sense different types of senses that we look at scripture and so there's a lot of nuance by which we get the interpretive lens and I think a lot of atheists especially uh, that have been influenced by the new atheist movement. Uh, look at the Bible very simplistically, like almost yeah. just as simplistically as some Christians do, and that's the, the the case in which they get it wrong. Oh, I agree. I mean, because even if you look at historians of the time, they don't write that way. So why would we assume that the Bible writes that way? You know, if you go into Herodotus, you know, right? Herodotus, you know, an early historian, you know, say uh, you know, be the BC era, um, he goes through and he writes in allegory and he writes in colorful metaphor right so why would we assume the bible would be different you know it's if if you look at any one of those it really is a telltale sign that they wrote according to the culture of the time yeah so i agree yeah my boy bishop Barron, i'm a proud member of the word on fire institute <laughs> We're going to go to our next section. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, it's Gumby here from Bible Over Brews. Are you looking to get some editing done in your podcast? Maybe you don't have the hours or time it takes to edit your content, but you still need to get it done. Maybe you need a customized track or a song for your podcast or your next project without having to worry about copyright issues. Well, look no further than soulworkmusic.com, where this footwork is done for you. I'll get that editing post-production work done right for you or create you that customized song that fits your project or podcast to help support your life's work. If this sounds like what you need, reach out to me at soulworkmusic.com. Again, at soulworkmusic.com. And remember, there's nothing taboo over brew. Yeah. This definitely kind of comes back to some of the... Uh, uh, I think how Catholicism is, in theory at least, better equipped to handle some of the, the heresies of Americanism, so to speak, some of the, the um, you know, just the bad tendencies we've gotten in American Christianity. 
um, because it's always been a little bit more immune to this particular you know interpretation of saying this means this very literal thing and once you have that it's very easy for a preacher to take that and kind of infect a ton of minds and yeah. to warp scripture in ways that can serve political ends can serve ends to um you know promote one race over another or races against each other um, but it also illustrates, too, one of the challenges, I think, in Catholicism today is we do have a lot of groups that are now trying to take a, a specifically Catholic twist on that same kind of heresy and taking specific Catholic teachings and twisting them to say that, well, no, the only real Catholicism is the one that, you know, does the Tridentine Latin Mass or, you know, does a certain other thing, which is really kind of all, yeah. all heresies throughout history have happened is someone saying, no, it means this very specific thing that is different than what we taught before. Um, so I remain hopeful, though, because we do have this foundation um, where we're always a little bit outside of that bubble. And, and Pope Francis, I think, does a great job of pulling us out of that bubble. My um, boy! I used, to tell folks, <laughs> I used to tell folks a few years ago when he was talking about certain things and be like, this sounds weird to me. And I'd be like, keep in mind, Pope Francis isn't always talking to Americans because he's from South America. And he lives in Italy, and he's talking to the whole world. And after reading Fratelli Tutti, I'm like, guess what? He's now talking to Americans really loud and clear. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with Archbishop uh, Carlo Maria Vagano? Oh, oh, oh. Let, we probably don't want to go there. <laughs> he's, in, he's in the news. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's a whole episode right there. Are you uh, so what? Uh, Vigano, yeah. Controversy around him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could do a whole episode. Let's plan a whole episode for that in the future. Wait, wait, wait. All right, right. All right. <laughs> wait a minute. So, he, because of our recent, you know, like events going on in our country, politically and both spiritually and religiously, uh, he wrote a letter to Trump, an open letter to Donald Trump. So this we, is hey hey don't cover your head. This is good says. good or bad, uh, right or wrong. It is one of your Catholic leaders. No, nope. He's, no, not he's, everybody. Nope. Not everybody with a title is a Catholic leader. Thank you, thank uh, you. An archbishop. <laughs> so what would he be? He's archbishop of like a, a titular see, which means he's not in charge of anything. He's just he just has a title. Yep, that's it. So he's not a leader in the Catholic Church. What? No, so the Pope sometimes will name an archbishop or even a cardinal of mm-hmm. a place that has no actual people, no no Catholic diocese, no flock, no nobody to look over. It's just the title that he's given them of honor. And in some cases, that person might be a scholar or serve in some other role that has nothing to do with that physical place. Wow. Like there's bishops over places mm-hmm. in Europe that live here in America so you- because that place doesn't matter. It's a titular seat, but... He's one of those. Nobody has any idea where he's at right now. He he's in hiding. In the place where he's Archbishop right of now. Old Piano, wherever that is. Yeah, it Old. could be. It, it might not, I can't say it doesn't exist because it probably exists. But, but yeah, he's not a leader over any group of people other than American right-wing. So, yeah, I was oh. going to say. Wait, wait, say that again? American what? Right-wing. Right-wing. Oh, the trads love him. The trads love him. So that even exists within the Catholic Church. That's his flock. That's his flock. The trads. 
as as Catholics, we're instructed to defer to our bishop on teaching to to take his instruction seriously. But all the people amplifying his teaching, he he's none of their bishop. <laughs> go go ahead. I, he's I, contradicting I, most of their bishop. I, I, I go ahead. I'd like to add to, yeah, I'll add some stuff on like Cardinal. I mean, not Cardinal, but Archbishop God. As far as like 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 his uh, position within the church as far as his leadership is concerned. Mm-hmm. The reason why he's like he's um big in the news is because at least his past position within like uh, of, of of leadership within like the American church, he was the apostolic nuncio to the United States, basically. Which is a very like like I I, I can't tell you exactly all what a what a what a papal nuncio does. I'm not as versed on that. But that's a but that's a very influential position within the church. Uh, because, well, he's basically the Pope's man in America in terms of, like the, was, the was. like yeah, what yeah, uh, like, I'm describing like what a nuncio is in general, not necessarily Bagano, but like uh, what a nuncio is is basically like the Pope's man in America as far as like like uh, like him guiding in some sense like the leadership of the like uh, like uh, the like uh, like speaking for the Pope or kind of relaying. Like the the uh, what's going on in America to the Pope and everything like that. Though of course, like there's a, a hierarchy in America that has its own forms of leadership that yeah. that has its own form of leadership. So mm-hmm. again, he like like to add a bit of nuance to the discussion about him. Again, and, and by the way, I'm not I'm not speaking as his, like a big apologist for Pagano necessarily. But 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 again, like he like he like he's an Archbishop, and so like he. Like he was like a valid type of leader in the church, and and and, and as a, and as a bishop, he is he 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 still was a part of the magisterium of the church, and the magisterium of the church is the teaching authority of the church, and so he still has like a sense of valid leadership within the church. Now I think what Nate is getting at is that he can and Nate can correct me if, if I'm not getting his perspective right, but <laughs> when he says like, he's not a leadership leader in the church, maybe like. He's not like a, he's not a leader that maybe Catholics should be looking towards because of like his um, connections to Trump and right wing white uh, right wing can't, can't speak like it trumps to the conservative political perspective and everything like that. But right. But like and 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 again, he, uh, he was a previous archbishop of the church. And so again, but ultimately he does have some type. He does have some leadership within the church as far as the him being a bishop within the church and having that influence by the virtue of being a bishop and also is his, his participation within the magisterium of the church. Mm-hmm. But of course you can recognize his leadership in the church and not agree with how he's using that leadership in the church. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then you get into like these issues of uh, like shit, like, and again, and like, like, when I when I see the, some of the stuff he's doing, I, I kind of cringe in terms of how <laughs> of how connected, of how of how connected he's becoming with Trump and mm-hmm. and like um, that was my point to bringing like, the whole thing like, up. A, 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 yeah, a particular like political kind of point. And and again, I would say the same thing if you have like a, a like a bishop like that was being too close to Joe Biden or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like like because of course. The church, and like the like the church, speaks God's truth to the world, and so Catholicism can have a, a like it can t- have finger it can have a, a touch in a lot of different pies, 
because the church speaks the truth to the world. Ultimately, it speaks the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. And Jesus is Lord of all our aspects of life, which includes the political sphere. And so the church can validly have some type of perspective in regards to political issues. But of course, the church should and always does should respect the particular realm, the different realms that there are and not get too involved in it. Because then when you mix politics and religion in a in a bad way then things to become messy and so yeah and so now you have this aspect of cardinal Card, uh, archbishop vagano like like again like uh, i guess to get again i don't know beyond what i've said yeah i don't know too much about him but yeah so the con- as far as like the, the deeper things that he said but of course like i mean i'm sorry yeah, the contents the contents of his letter in my opinion, yeah. reading it uh, is a Protestant, somebody who's objective kind of to the Catholic Church, doesn't know a whole lot about the Catholic Church, Yeah, throws the Catholic Church under the bus, which I see time and time mm-hmm. again in our mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, the Catholic Church bears a brunt of, of a lot of the things that are wrong with Christianity. And I, I will always give you guys this defense as a Protestant. I can see that. Yeah. You know, in yeah. terms of like, I, I can read the news every day and find I don't know how many articles to sex abuse, right? Right. Yeah. As if it doesn't exist anywhere else. I can see things for what they are, but when I saw this connected to Trump in the context of what he was talking about, he was he was protesting and basically saying that the riots and the protests that were happening was a whole uh, part of the quote unquote great reset that's happening in the world. And uh, yeah, it's about dang time. And so <laughs> that that was his argument, and that it's I could read the whole thing, but I, I'm not going to do that. But what baffled me is that he had Trump's ear, you know. <laughs> yeah. that, and, that that baffled me. And I'll back you on that because my Protestant friends tried to use that letter in supporting everything Trump does because they were like, oh, oh, "Oh yeah, oh yeah," they were like, "Oh look, even your church supports this." Now it's like. People don't, people don't know that. So, so let me clarify what I said before. When I said he's not a leader, I didn't mean to say that he's not or never was an archbishop. My point is that this man is currently in exile. He is in hiding. Most Protestants don't know this about mm-hmm. him. But like he's writing that letter from an unknown location yep. because he is not, as far as I know, in good standing with the rest of the leadership of the Catholic Church. Like if he, if Pope Francis excommunicated him tomorrow, it wouldn't even be surprising to me because he's before Trump was already doing wild stuff, subterfuge. Uh, I can't say espionage because I don't know who he was trying for. But he was doing underhanded stuff already that had him in hot water mm-hmm. such that he felt the need to go into hiding well before Trump was, well before now, well before this current period, well before yeah. the protests, well before he was connected to to a presidential administration. And so Interesting. that's the background that most Protestants don't know. And so we can't look at what he's saying and say, oh, well, he's one of your guys. So it's like, technically, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, he's not been in, he's not been one of our guys, like in a real sense for a little yeah. while now. Yeah. A, a beauty of the magisterium of the church, the, you know, the continuous teaching throughout history and, you know, the, the college of, of, you know, just 
all these bishops and, and popes together continuously teaching the Catholic faith. The beauty of that is that when a bishop goes rogue, like Vigano, it's easy to tell in the context of the faith why that's wrong, why what he's saying is wrong. And um, that gives me a lot of hope, is that I can, I can point to a thousand things that say this is why I should take the political musings of this guy seriously, even if he's in a position where I should respect his teaching on faith and morals. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be able to add to that. Like, of course, like, at, like as far as, like, uh, the office that he holds as a bishop, that's due respect. But, of course, you can disagree with, like, some of the things that he might be saying, or like as far as using his own, like his own personal, especially personal views in regards to things that are not faith and morals and stuff. And so I think what's, in, and this is why the nuances is, is it, like, and this is very important as far, because even, because it starts to affect and, and why like a clergy member needs to, be careful about how what he says and how how he says it and whom he associates with mm -hmm. because that right there becomes a representation of the church oh, even yeah. in my position right now as a seminarian like i have to watch what i say because what because even what i say can be taken as some type of representation of the church and i'm not even a clergy member yet oh yeah but it's just what people are taking take and run with it and so people look at Vagano and, and like even non-Catholics will say, hey, Vagano, this y'all guy, he's saying these things. Therefore, maybe the Catholic, maybe all Catholics agree with him or should be down with him in some way. But the thing about it, but what the but the bottom line thing about what we what, what, what we should take from the Vagano case is what Keith was talking about is the with his point about the magisterium of the church. It's like the church teaches what what the church teaches and proclaims to be revealed by God and 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 is one thing. And, mm -hmm. and we and we can look in scripture, we can look at uh, the catechism, we can look at like the various forms by which the deposit of faith has been expressed throughout uh, throughout the various means. And then we can see what the Catholic Church teaches. And then once we have what the Catholic Church teaches the truth and what the gospel is, and then use that as a as a way we can view the lens, we can use that as a lens to view what even bishops are saying. And so if one bishop, if you if you look, read his writings and one bishop is not matching up with what the gospel says, what the Bible says, what the church has always proclaimed then you can you can check them out on that and stuff like as far and then and then say okay like regardless of what he's saying i know what i am to believe as a catholic yeah and if and and if somebody is saying something that's not vibing with that then i i then i'm, I'm probably not gonna mess with you <laughs> because i'm i need to be down with with jesus and his church is saying yeah. and again if Vagano, and again i'm not i'm not as versed as the the context of what vagano is saying Cause shoot, man, I'm I'm a busy seminarian, man. I got papers to write. And oh yeah, like no that. doubt, no I mean, doubt. <laughs> and so like, like I ain't got time. But as as far as the other Catholics that are here, and even and even our non-Catholic friend, um, if you, this is a chance to learn what the Catholic Church, what the Catholic faith is, and match up with what you see people saying about it. Yeah.
Yeah. I got that. We got that on the Protestant side. We got Jim yeah. Baker. <laughs> what I, what I, <laughs> what what I do love about uh about when I moved into the Catholic Church was remember I said that U2 song? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. After I moved over, it's the first time in my life, religiously and philosophically, because you know, we have some of the best philosophers. <laughs> Um, Thomas Aquinas, my boy, right? So, <laughs> um, moving over, I never felt the need to search again because I had a complete library of my faith. And yes. I never had to divert away from that again. And it was, it, it brought such peace to me to realize, you know what? I can just trust, you know, my father in Christ. You know, down here, you know, my 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 pope's not going to lead me astray. My my priests, by and large, are not going to, especially as a collective body, are not going to leave me astray. Um, because even when we had, because we did have a few bad popes, um, even those popes never changed theology. They never changed the magisterium. They never changed the architecture. They never so the hierarchy. So um, there is. You can have faith in that, right? You can you can fall back in that and say, you know what, I'm not going to be steered wrong. And there was there was a huge amount of peace lifted off of me that I never experienced before. And if I if I say nothing else to all of my struggling Protestant brothers and sisters, I was so hard up going back and forth. Uh, well, is there cessationism? Is it not cessationism? Is it there is such diversity back and forth between the pro? I I literally could not sleep at night because of trying to think. Well, is should I be more Calvinist or or, or Arminianism? Should I be like there's like I struggled so hard in that, and when I came over to Catholicism, the amount of relief I had to realize that all of my research led to this, and I didn't have to struggle anymore. And I could just fully believe in one church body. It, there was such peace of mind that I still have now. It's beautiful. Like I, I, don't, I can't express how much peace of mind there is in that. You think no Protestant has that? <laughs> Open question. I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. I think many Protestants do, but it's not necessarily based. It's not a house built on the rock, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what I would would add to that is that, like, I mean, you touched on something that is important to bring up as far as, like, ultimately what the, like, the deep, like, a deep question in which, in which you, in which was there, and what you had, it's at the heart of your searching is the proper authority. Like, who, in the teaching authority, who has the authority to teach in Christ's name? Is it me in my own interpretation of Scripture? Is that the final arbiter? Is that the final authority? If you think it is, then I have to say, well, it must be tough being Pope because you become your own Pope. You become your own, like, because if, 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 if the Bible is alone is supposed to be our sole authority, basically the sole authority of faith, but in addition to that, our we, our interpretation of what the Bible says, then, 
and that's and that's and that's it in regards to the like ultimately your own your your sense of teaching authority, then it's going to be it can, it's going to maybe tough in regards to that. But like not every Protestant may struggle with that because like I guess like to be fair, uh like like you have like some pro, like Protestants like especially when you go into like uh like the Anglicans and uh that do look back to church history and they look at the church fathers as well and they will and, and they look at scripture as well and they will say like the consensus of the church fathers and the consensus of at least the first seven ecumenical councils and and like the testimony of, of church history and like and and, and, and and like the the content of scripture adds up together and like to to preach the right thing but you're still missing ultimately essential authority that has the proper authority, even to determine, okay, like the canon of scripture or like the, the, to determine what council is ecumenical or not. Like, I mean, you, you still got to have essential authority and, and like that, that, that speaks in Jesus name because it was established by Jesus to lead and guide the faithful under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And for Catholics, we look and say, that's the Catholic Church with the magisterium, of, the magisterium of the church, the bishops in union with the Pope speaking in his name, going all the way back to, because Christ said to Peter, you are rocking upon this rock to my church. And he said, and Luke, comfort my brothers, comfort, comfort them. And like, and, and, and so... And, 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 and what's mind-blowing in that, and I don't know, most Protestants probably don't know this, the Vatican literally sits on the bones of Peter. His, his, his tomb is right underneath the Vatican. <laughs> this Protestant knew that. <laughs> but, so my, that. <laughs> my, ulti- my ultimate question then for you guys, then for me as a quote-unquote I, I call myself like a recovering evangelical, you know, because I am the biggest critic and I'm the first critic of the way I was brought up with an organized religion. And I'm just going to call it call it that for what it is. But what does that mean for us? And for many of those who may be like me or many millions of other Protestants, are we on the road to hell? No, 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 no. So what the what the, the issue of authority because we're always hung up on that between us, right? Yeah, but even right within our catechism, we believe that you can still find salvation. That's uh oh, what is that eight um around eight forty, I believe, in the in the catechism. Yeah, and the uh, the Orthodox and the Syrian Church of the East, they don't have the Pope either, but the Church readily says all their sacraments are are valid, and there's never even the hint that they're going to hell. Yeah. Teaching, so yeah. I mean, Protestants having fewer sacraments, you know, wouldn't necessarily, you know, exile them from from heaven. But at the same time, we would say, you know, just like we would say to the Orthodox and the Syrian Church of the East, you know, yeah. come on back under the Pope. We got we got room. Yeah. <laughs> so, is the protest over? What protest? The protest. Ooh, that's up to you guys. Not us. <laughs> so. Whenever y'all finished, we, 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 we
We're not protesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in a way, everybody kind of protested back then. I mean, the protest happened. The schism happened. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's the thing. That's the thing. Protests were not new at the time of the Reformation. What was somewhat new was the creation of a new church and one that has lasted so long, which is partially due to the political climate of that time. Yep. When people had tried that before, it just didn't last. So, I mean... That's really the issue is that you, what Luther needs to do was to protest without leaving, which yeah. he did for a time. And that's what Protestants should do today. If there are issues that you see that are legitimate, you know, yeah. this is coming from me and Nate Tenner, become <laughs> Catholic and protest those things from the inside and stop, you know, yelling at us from across the street. Right? No, no, I got, I, got my, uh, I got my grievances with my own people, so... And I, I really think the the really the only thing that helped Luther from the previous divisions that, that existed before him was he had a printing press. I think that was really the only really differentiating uh, you know Major thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I could add to like, I guess like his question, like, and 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 I, and I guess in answering this question, like, I mean, I, like first I would say. Uh, if you want to see like like answering this particular question as far as other even other questions as well from a theological point from a Catholic perspective, but also like this like he also brings in non-Catholics as well mm-hmm. to talk about these issues. Like uh, the, if you heard of Reason and Theology um, on YouTube, the YouTube channel Reason and Theology, um, like a guy named Michael Lofton, he runs it, and 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 he talks about this particular question. So. And and in the in particular Catholic perspective, regards is like I was just I was just listening to one of his episodes about it. So, like that's what I would pass on to you as far as like, because he because he mentions, okay, we have all this teaching. What does it mean for Protestants? It's, it basically everybody who's not Catholic. The Church does have a teaching. I mean, you don't you don't have to go far to find this. The Church does have the firm teaching that like there's no salvation outside the Church. What does that mean? And what what I have to what I have to say as a Catholic, and especially as a Catholic, as a man who was um, trying to become a priest, I preach what the church teaches, even if it's hard. Like the church does teach that there's no salvation outside the church. What that means for Protestants is that the church like wants everybody to become Catholic. Everybody should be Catholic. Because not be, just because we say so, because Jesus Christ established the church, and there's one church, and the, and that church is supposed to be the organ by which all men are gathered together under the one flock, under the one shepherd who's Christ, and on earth his shepherd, and on earth his church is led by the by the Pope, and so everybody's supposed to be in union with the Pope, in union with the teaching authority of the church, because the church is the only authority Christ gave to the church, to the world, to preach in his name and to preach the gospel and to save souls with the, with, with the sacraments. And so as far as non-Catholics are concerned, can they go to heaven? Yes, that's theoretically possible. But two things, like non-Catholics can go to heaven in spite of, not because of, but basically in spite of all the things they believe that is contrary to the Catholic faith, but also if they have what we call invincible ignorance. If a non-Catholic 
a Protestant, especially a Protestant or Orthodox, live their life in regards to the faith as they know it, and they never come into contact with the fullness of the church, the fullness of the, the, the fullness of the faith that, that, that the church possesses. They never come through no fault of their own, and they live the gospel to the best of their ability. That person could go to heaven. It's possible. But of course, the best way that person is going to get to heaven is by being Catholic, is by living the fullness of the faith as it has been passed down from Jesus to the apostles until now. And and you, we you, we don't know if somebody outside the church is going to be saved through that route. But of course, if they if somebody comes into knowledge of the fullness of the truth, just like if somebody comes into contact with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the way, the, the way, the truth, and the life, and rejects that, and we and and of course we we can't be the judge of, of whether somebody has has fully come into contact with the faith in their mind and has rejected that in their heart. That's left up to God. If a person comes into the fullness of the faith and knows in their heart that this is the truth and rejects it, then that person will not will not be saved. And and yeah. again that person is not united has, has purposely not united himself with the one body of Christ which is the Catholic Church. And so like if basically, if a person comes into the full, comes to the contact and the knowledge that the church, that that the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus Christ established, and he should belong to this church, and rejects it, then that person's salvation is in jeopardy. But of course, if if somebody doesn't know, and 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 never comes to the contact with the fullness of the faith, they simply never know. It's possible that person will go to heaven, but. It's always best if that person becomes Catholic and comes to, and lives the like the life that the, that the church calls that person to live, and God calls that person to live through the church. And so, like, that's what what I have to say in regards to that question to try to be like uh, as clear as possible mm-hmm. and as honest as possible from my understanding of the church's teaching. And I have to be that. Oh yeah, especially yeah. because we're trying to be a priest. Absolutely, that's so. That, yeah. That's a great answer. Like, so. Like, and that's what and, is a Protestant said, I've never heard. And, and so if I've said anything wrong about the Catholic faith, if I've something then your that's salvation wrong, is then, in jeopardy. Then, then, <laughs> then, then check me up on that. Check me up on that and like check what I've said against the teaching to the church, against against the, the teachings what the church says, and again and, and follow that. I'm trying to be as faithful as I can as try to disseminate the teachings to the church. And stuff, and so no, like, well put, yeah. well put. No, yeah. I, 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 I agree with it. Actually, that's the first time I, I've ever heard that from the Catholic point of view, in terms of their. Aaron, uh, what you've been telling him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's so, not listening. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I'm solid in my faith. I have been, and like I said, I, I'm the first to critique my own. You know, I've I've heard some Protestant pastors talk. You know, when they talk about when they're trying to raise money and all of that. So whatever, but they'll talk (laughs) about heaven and they'll talk about the end times and say, Hey, when we get up to heaven, yes, you're probably going to see some Catholics up there. (laughs) And you know, they'll even acknowledge that. But 
except from tonight, maybe I've it's been hard pressed to hear that from the Catholic point of view to accept it. Well, all right, maybe we aren't the only right one. Maybe the church is bigger than just the Catholic Church. It's never been that way both ways. Mm-hmm. So Columbia. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I but to hear that to hear that perspective and say that maybe someone can come to the gospel and the fullness of the gospel and still be saved from the Catholic theology sounds like okay, so yeah. I, I don't know how else to say guys, a way out. <laughs> Let me cut off Keith for Let me cut off Keith for like thirty seconds and say no go ahead. You will probably find more Catholics on planet Earth that affirm Protestants can be saved than you will find Protestants, evangelical Protestants that affirm Catholics can be saved. Maybe. My mom was a yep. Catholic for forty years. I'm not unfamiliar with the traditions and the culture aspect of it. So I'm just saying, specifically from specifically from the theology, that's you know I appreciate it because that's that's important information to know. Yeah, you know I it, it for me it's a connecting point. It it makes me want to keep my heart and my mind open. Yeah, and and being former Protestant myself, I can also say that that's what's something that my Protestant parents and family would say too is like, well, there are some Catholics who are saved, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Keith, <laughs> all, right, all right. So, Gumby, I felt the weight of your questions from two very different perspectives because there's been, been times post reversion where I've been like, oh man, everybody needs to know this right now and needs to convert to Catholicism in this moment. And there's been <laughs> other times since then where I've been like. Oh my gosh! How could I ask anybody to become Catholic with all the mess that's going on sure. in the yeah. church? Yeah, yeah. And um, and I felt the the wave of certitude that Juice referred to of, of having this wealth of teaching and be able to say like, hey, it's definitely that. There's not like a cloud of uncertainty. In this, but I think what's actually really carried me through since then um, is the aggressive teaching of the church on mercy. Um, there's an awesome little book. Uh, by Pope Francis is really like an interview with Pope Francis is very short. It's called the name of God is mercy. And he just goes really, really deep. Now how aggressively God wants to encounter all of us, all of humanity, no matter what our perspective is, no matter how much or little information about the faith, no matter how much or little, maybe our perception of Catholicism or God in general has been damaged by what's happened around us or what other people have, have shown us. Um, there's like a great story he's, he's got in there where it's talking about a guy who was just a horrible person. I think killed a bunch of people, uh, you know, was uh, horrible to women. Um, and like the guy's in front of a confessor and the, the guy's trying to get any sort of confession out of him. And he's just like, are you sorry for, you know, uh, fornicating? Are you sorry for doing, you know, stealing, murdering all these things or whatever? And the guy's like, no, I didn't regret any of those. And then the, the priest asks him, are you sorry for being not sorry? And he's like, you know, actually, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> and he's like, he's expressing remorse. It's an opening for mercy. So um, yeah, even with all these rules, with all the history of the magisterium, the ag- aggressive stance of the church is that God is about bringing mercy to the world. Yeah, I, I mm. fully respect that. 
and in our and in our world today of everything goes culture, I appreciate the firmness. I do. I I, I could I could only respect that. Yeah. So and I I would yeah. hope that more Protestants would. Yeah, to add quickly to even to that that question of mercy to tie that in to sub, to stuff I said earlier, it's like God, yeah, God's mercy is a radical mercy. Mm. It, it's an unrelenting mercy that desires to possess the entire world. It, it desires to possess everybody, and the implications of that is that this mercy is so crucial for everybody to have that we can't presume that somebody who is who who may be even who who does have invincible ignorance who doesn't know about jesus like we can't just leave that person off and be like okay if that person doesn't know that jesus is the only way then they they they, they they're okay they're not they're, they're not going to go to hell or anything like that no that's not a guarantee we're supposed to we're supposed to hand hand the gospel to every creature, yeah. and so when it comes to somebody who doesn't know about Jesus, tell them about Jesus, because because the only sure guaranteed way of going to heaven and being with God forever is through Jesus, and so you can't presume that somebody who doesn't know about Jesus maybe doesn't know are going to go to heaven just because they're ignorant, because God doesn't even want them to be ignorant. God wants them to come to the fullness. God wants them to come to knowledge of Jesus himself. And so even if somebody who, who, we may, who we may know that doesn't know about Jesus, we should still tell them about Jesus. We can't assume that ignorance will kind of save them. And it's the same thing, and that's a crucial point, it's the same thing in regards to what I was saying about the fullness of the, of the, of the Catholic faith as well. It's like if somebody like, doesn't know that the fullness of the truth is the Catholic Church, is, is Catholicism, tell them. Yeah. And 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 when and we and bottom line, we're not to we're not to like fail to trust in God's mercy so much that we don't tell people about Jesus and about His Church, about His Catholic Church, and leave people in ignorance because uh, they may they may be saved. They like because if they don't know, no, we're we're doing we're failing in our duty. Yeah, mm. when we don't tell people about the fullness of the faith, and so. Yeah. That yeah. that's that that's the thing that's been on my mind. So I got I got to get I got to get that in to, to cross my T's and dot my eyes and stuff like that. And it's like okay, I agree. I it, appreciate it. it. Yeah, yeah, despite the flack I take, I from my anti-Catholic family, <laughs> I will still post uh, stuff all the time on my Facebook page. Um, I might have to delete a few comments here and there, but <laughs> and and mind you, the cool thing is is that. It, when they go back and they look at it, um, all the good things that have come out of my family has been from the Catholic side. You know, it's like when I came out of, you know, and, you know the abuse that I came out of, it was my Catholic grandfather that took me in. When my sister escaped from an abusive uh, household, it was the Catholic church that took her in and helped her find a place, you know? So it's, it's every time that there's been help, it's been actually from the Catholic side. So it's been really interesting that way. So this has been an awesome night. Yeah. So great learning experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's been an awesome night. Yeah. Um, we'll go around the table real quick. Uh, Justin, we can find you at where? 
Uh, you can find me uh, like three places. Again, you can you can basically through my apostolate, Black Catholic, and it's just one word, Black Catholic. You can find me on my website at theblackcatholic.com. That's where my blog is at. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. Just look up Black Catholic, and I should be just like I said, one of the, one of the first pages there. There's not a lot of black active black Catholic pages anyway. It's a, so that's one of the first ones that pop yeah. up, and you click on there, and like uh, if you see me or see like uh, uh, like Father Tolton on there and everything like that, black Catholic. And my tagline is Catholicism through a colored lens. <laughs> so you see black Catholic, and you see Catholicism through a colored lens. That's me. Again, website theblackcatholic.com, and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. So yep. hit me up. And I, I I really think everybody should go out and read his articles. Very well-written articles. Um, Nate, where can we find you? Forget about me, man. Go to the website that I help run, Black Catholic Messenger. Uh, we're blackcatholicmessenger.com. Facebook, username is also Black Catholic Messenger. Instagram, same. Twitter, we are... You can search for our name, we'll pop up, but our user tag is BLKCTH Stories because Twitter doesn't like long usernames. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I spend most of my time on. I do have a personal website, natemup.com, N A T E M U P, but you know, uh, go read Black Catholic Messenger. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, can, 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 our, can our listeners subscribe to your newsletter yet? Uh, there is a Black Catholic Messenger newsletter, sort of. There is a button on our website for it. But right now we're just sending out certain stories when we post them. Mm-hmm. We're working on the, you know, more fancy newsletter with multiple stories and other messages. But yeah, you can subscribe on awesome. BlackCatholicMessenger.com. Awesome. We look forward to it. <laughs> and all of our listeners, please make sure you check us out on Facebook, on Patreon, by the way, pay for our beers. You know, we'll keep making content. Please. Pay, pay for our beers. Uh, they're not cheap. We'll drink more if you pay for the beers. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'll make you a deal. If you endorse us from any state, we will endorse your beers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. All you have to do, go to our Patreon or our, our Anchor FM page, anchor.fm forward slash Bible of a Bruise. If you give to us on either site, tell us you gave to us. Tell us what state it is. We will find a brewery from your state, and we will endorse you. <laughs> and you can find us on any social media platform. We're in all of them. All right? So, Nothing Gumby? taboo over brew? <laughs> Keith? Uh, I was just going to if you have any doubts in your faith after this episode, if you're not sure if you believe in God or not, in this holiday season, you're an agnostic. Agnostic. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I had to go there. <laughs>